Well, good day, fellowship family. It's good to be with you. I hope you'll pray for us. On Wednesday, we're going to be holding the funeral services for two of those uh, adolescents who were killed in that car wreck on Highway 24 this week. You know, as I think about how God has provided this place for us, I also thought this is a great place to help our community mourn the loss of, of some. And so uh, be, be in prayer for us on Wednesday as we uh, come alongside specifically that we can comfort these families at their time of loss. Glad that you're with us because we're talking actually about storms and going through storms. And today we're going to be looking at the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, open up to the book of Jonah, where we'll see that sometimes God uses a storm to bring us back. Have you ever thought about that? That God could use a storm to bring us back. The book of Jonah is all about God using people through a storm. You know, as I look at this, uh, if I were the uh, director of a movie about Jonah, this would be my opening scene. It would be the eastern shore of the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, in the distance, as the movie begins, you would see a little dot in the distance. Do you see the little dot? We would move closer and closer. You would hear the sound of the waves hitting the shoreline. You would hear the distant screech of a seagull. And then you would realize, what is that? What is that? And as the movie, as the movie uh, camera moved closer, you would see that it's an outline of the body. But is the body living? And then it would go extreme close up. Next scene, we'd have just the hand of someone on the beach. And there's a crab walking along that, that hand. And all of a sudden, the crab jumps away because the hand twitches. And with the first breath, this person, who we'll call Jonah, wretches and coughs out seawater and comes to life. And there is Jonah. Remember this image. Because now the movie goes back into flashback mode. Several weeks earlier, we find Jonah, and he's a prophet of God at a time during Israel's history that's known as the Dark Ages. And it was called the Dark Ages in their history because although they knew about God, they didn't worship him. They worshiped other gods. And every, every king who led the northern kingdom of Israel neither had a heart for God nor followed him. They all, as scripture says, did evil in the sight of the Lord. King Jeroboam, around 760 BC, uh, was, was no exception to that reality about the kings. And Jonah lived in that time. Jonah had a heart for his country. He, he was frustrated with King Jeroboam and him, him ignoring God's word. Rumors about King Jeroboam II were this. He wanted to build a wall around Israel to keep foreigners out. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? He also wanted universal health care and college for all by raising taxes. <laughs> he also allowed open carry laws for spear, swords, and knives. I mean, people could just carry them out in public. And he built gender-neutral restrooms throughout the land. Wait a minute, I digress, right? That's American politics. As a man of God, Jonah was frustrated as he watched the worship of idols, the lack of faith, God being ignored in his nation, the nation that once loved and served him. Major power in the world at that time was Assyria. And one thing about the Assyrians is they were ferocious, merciless people. 
They would come and they would, um, they, they would take their captors and the leaders of those captors, they would take and they would put them in a public square. They would disembowel them and chop off their heads and use their head as a polo for polo for sport. So if you lived at that time in, in, in Israel, you hated the Assyrians. One of their key cities was Nineveh, a large city, and it was known throughout the land as being a horrible place if you were not Assyrian. Now at this time period, period that Jonah lived, Assyria was now on the decline. And if you were in Israel, you celebrated that. You went, yes! Our big bully to the north is, is, uh, is declining. That means we will surge. Israel will rise again. And it's at this point that Jonah hears from the word of the Lord. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. When Jonah heard this, he said, what are you talking about, Lord? Why would I ever go to Nineveh? Nineveh, those are the bad guys. I mean, Israel's not the best, but those are the really bad guys. Why would we ever go to a place that is just godless, where they hate our God, they hate us? I mean, I'm actually the minister called to Israel. I like Israel, land of the free, home of the brave. This is where I was born. This is where my heart is. If Jonah's horse had a bumper sticker, it would have the closed fist with never Nineveh written across it. <laughs> and yet God was calling him to go to the place with a people he despised. He was absolutely sure that God had moved in his heart. That God directed him and that his life was for Israel, not Assyria. So he ran. He ran. He ran away from God, away from his word, away from Israel. He ran away. Far, far away. Look at this passage, how it continues. Jonah rose and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare. He went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the Lord, away from the presence of the Lord. Do you want to know what Tarshish is? You want to know what that place is? I struggle with is after Tarshish for some reason. Every message I've, I've gone that way. But Tarshish was really far away. We'll get back to that. We'll get back to that. But right now, Jonah fled. Three times it's mentioned where he was headed, where his plans were. But really what it comes down to, it's not a plan. It's running away from a person. Because it says away from the presence of the Lord. Twice it says that. Away from the presence of the Lord. You know what we need to realize? When we run away from God, we run into a storm. That's something I want you to remember, because running from God is always about running into a storm. We may not realize it. We may just think it's freedom. We can live life on our own. But running away from God is running into a storm. What were some of the things that Jonah ran to in the process? He ran to a whole bunch of things that he didn't see. But I think there's things that we need to talk about here. If we're going to talk honestly about running away from the Lord... The first way, first thing that Jonah ran from or ran to is an unseen destination. Look at this. Look at this destination where he was headed. 
This is kind of a satellite image of the world at that time. He's down at Joppa where he hops on the ship. Joppa was 550 miles away from Nineveh. Now that was a long way because they didn't have cars, trains, or, or, um, or, or airline. They had to walk 550 miles. But where did he flee to? He fled to Tarshish. Which was right through the Strait of Gibraltar down by Spain on the, on the west coast of Spain there. If you were a sailor and you were headed to Tarshish, you literally would say, I am, I am going to go to the end of the earth. Because they had the belief at that time, because the world wasn't fully discovered at that time, they had a belief that if they went through the Strait of Gibraltar, they would, they would sail off the end of the earth. They lived in a time where they believed the world was flat. So that was the end of the ocean. It was the great unknown. But here's the deal. It was the great unknown destination. It was the great unknown destination for Jonah. And that's what he did. He went to this first destination, which was a storm. Look at verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. You know, running away from God leads us to a storm of unseen destinations. Jonah never thought when he got on that ship, hey, let's sail into a storm. This would be cool. I've always wanted to know what. No way. They dreaded the storm. But that's exactly the destination of his direction. None of us intentionally to do that when we run from God. But he ran from God. He ran right into a storm. Scripture says he went down to Joppa. He went down onto the ship. He went down into the sea. And even when the storm hit, he's down at the bottom of the ship, sleeping. He's far, far away, an unseen destination. Every direction we take leads to a destination. That's why if you're a student, you start this school year out, you never intend to get caught cheating on a test, right? None of us do. But when you take more time, the daily direction of more time in front of a screen than you do studying. When you take a a frustrating teacher who you really don't understand and you don't like. And when you take a group of friends who are willing to share information with you, the destination is most always cheating. I talk to people all the time. I never intended for alcohol to be this important to my life. But if you take the daily direction of partying in college, partying as a young adult, and then using alcohol to kind of be a band-aid for boredom or depression throughout your adulthood life, and the destination is most likely alcoholism. We never intend to go through bankruptcy, but if you take that daily direction of spending more than you make and covering it by debt, the most likely destination is bankruptcy. None of us intend to, but every direction has a destination. For Jonah, it was a storm of unseen destinations for him. But it's not just destinations that we go when we run. It's also an unseen storm of pain. Pain in our lives, as well as as pain for the lives of people around us. Back in the boat, in the middle of this storm, sailors were praying to their gods like good luck charms. And where do they find Jonah? He's sleeping below the deck. And so they wake him into the terror of their storm. And Jonah confesses, I'm responsible. So you just see this awkward but 
but chaotic confrontation in the middle of the storm. Look at the pain that they share here. They said to him, tell us, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? What people are you? And Jonah said to them, look at what he said. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and that all and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid, which means they were freaking out. And they said to him, what is this that you have done? And literally what that means is, what is it that you have done to him and to us? And that's what we don't realize, that our running away affects everyone around us. There are people who love you. You have people who look to you. And when you choose to run away, it affects their lives. It also affects your life. I think about some of the key things that Jonah ran away from. And I just kind of listed them like fear. Fear. He ran away from God and he ran right into fear. He ran into guilt. Think about how awkward it is to have someone. We all fear that moment when someone else points the finger out and said, you, you're the responsible one. It's all because we, we don't want that ever to happen to us. And here's this moment of unseen pain in his life. Think about the sailors. I mean, they, that's where they made their living. Think about how much more work they had to do because someone's irresponsibility always becomes someone else's responsibility. Do you know that? unseen pain in their lives. When we run away, people suffer. I met this guy named Les Parrott, and I met him in Dallas a few months ago. And his whole life is to help marriages because he believes that if he can change the divorce rate, if he can be a part of the divorce rate in the United States dropping by 5%, he can help a lot of children. One of the things that he mentions is that for every 1% that the, that the divorce rate drops in the United States, 1 million children are affected. We don't realize how it affects the children around us. And so if he can be a part of 5% over the course of his lifetime, it'll affect 5 million children. I, that's someone who realizes that the pain of someone running away affects people around you. When we run away from God... We run into a storm of unseen destinations, unseen pain, and also unseen humiliation. It even, the plot kind of thickens because Jonah says in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, pick me up, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. There it is, pain on their lives because of the running away in his own life. Think about that humiliated in front of a group of people who were sailing for the direction that Jonah wanted to go. There's humiliation in running away. So they picked him up, verse 15 says, and they hurled him into the sea. And at that moment, the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. Now think about this. Here is Jonah. He's running away from the Lord. And who gets humbled? The sailors around him. The sailors around him, they looked at it and go, wow. Wow, who is this God that stopped the sea from hurling at us? Who who is this God? I think we need to worship him because when we threw Jonah in, he was just fine. God is passionately committed to 
deepening humility in our hearts. Because he himself is a humble God. When Jesus came to this world, God in the flesh, he humbled himself for us. And God is passionately committed to humbling us. Sometimes storms, that's what I hear people's lives. When you go through a storm, I am humbled. I don't know what to do. That's the starting point with God. And that's the starting point to sometimes health and healing is when we humble our hearts in a storm that God has for us. And so the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Yeah, I believe this. I believe this happened. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, humbled. Again, just trace, trace his progress from northern Israel down to Joppa, down to the sea, down in the storm, down at the bottom of the boat, thrown overboard, down into the sea, swallowed up by a fish. Sometimes we almost have to hit bottom before we humble our hearts because God is committed to deepening you and me in humility. Unseen humiliation. But it's at that point that we really get a picture of a heart being humbled before the Lord. And it's Jonah chapter 2. The whole chapter, for the most part, is a prayer in the belly of this fish from Jonah to the Lord. And it's a fascinating prayer. If you want to understand what repentance is, that means turning your way to trust in God's way, Jonah chapter 2 is a really good chapter to read. I want to point out one verse that shows the kind of the summit of Jonah's repentance before the Lord. It's chapter 2, verse 7 through 9. He says this, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope, their hope of steadfast love. That verse 8, I love the NIV translation. I think it matches a little bit better with the original Hebrew. He says, those who worship worthless idols forsake the grace that could be theirs. That's another aspect of, of humbling ourselves. When we go our own way, we forget about the grace of God that could be ours when we go on our own. Look at what he says. This is his heart. But with a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the cry that, that the heart and the ear of God turn towards and saves. And that at his deepest moment of humiliation, when Jonah prayed out, salvation belongs to the Lord, he was basically saying, only you can save me. And he did. God saved him. And so God caused that fish to throw up Jonah uh, on the shore of the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Now, let me tell you, that's where we started the movie, right? Remember that? And so now we understand Jonah. Now we understand him a little bit more. But what did he really run away from? He ran away from God's grace. God was the one. His unrelenting, never fading, always faithful love called Jonah to go to Nineveh. It was God who caused the storm to bring a runaway home. It was God who caused a fish to swallow him up and, might I add, transfer him back to the shore that God called him to go. And it was God now who would call him back. The God of a second chance. The God who never gives up. 
the God who always calls us back. And so we understand Jonah now. The man now washed up on the shore, struggling to get on his feet. He stands up and he hears again. He hears again the same word of the Lord because the flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. God never changes. And so that's what he hears in chapter 3, verse 1 from God. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it or call out against it the message I tell you to do. This time, compared to the first time, he obeyed and his feet walked to Nineveh and he preached a message. It's really short. I don't know how what you would say if I just got up and preached this message to you on a weekend and walked off the stage. It didn't take long for him to do, but he preached it throughout Nineveh. Here it was. It was yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. How about that? Hey, you want to hear the bad news? None of us want to hear the bad news, but that's what Jonah gave Nineveh. 40 days, you're going to be, whoop, you're going to be toast. God's going to wipe you out in 40 days. And he preached it for three days. And he preached it to the poor people. He preached it to the wealthy people. He preached it to people without position and people in the highest position. And here's what we hear was their response. And it's interesting, right? Because if up to this point on the story, we kind of go, who listened to the word of the Lord? Did Jonah? Nah, not really. Not really. What will Nineveh do? What will these merciless killers do with God's salvation? Look, verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word of the Lord came to them, turn or burn, basically. And they said, don't want to burn. Let's turn. And they literally fasted. They, they fasted from eating and drinking so to show God that, that their hearts were totally his now. They weren't going to be messing around with him. They're going to come back to him. And so the greatest of the city, the king, announces a fast. And he says, let everyone, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? Who knows that if we do this, God may turn and relent and and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I love that. Isn't that? Well, 40 days, we're toast. So we might as well turn right now. Maybe if we turn... Who knows? Let's just throw ourselves on the mercy of God. Maybe from everything we know about him, maybe he's a God who will be compassionate to us. I like that. That's calling out to God without expecting that they owe, that, that he owes them anything. That's true humility, crying out to God. And so God, what did God do? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented from their disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. We should put an exclamation point at the end there, because this is really God acting on the other side of grace. So many times when we think about God's grace, we think about what he has done for us. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that Jesus came and lived a life we couldn't live. So he did that for us. That Jesus died on a cross to pay a price for our sin because we couldn't ever do that. 
He did that for us. And he rose again from the dead because he gives life and light to all who believe in him. And he gives eternal life to us when we believe in him. So that's all what God has done for us. But here's the other side of grace. The other side of grace is what we deserve from God that he doesn't do to us. See, here they celebrate. He didn't get us. When we repented, he relented. That's the whole picture of the other side of God's grace. It's what God doesn't do to you that he could do to you. Thank the Lord today for what God hasn't done to you. In, a, in amidst what he has done for you. He hasn't taken out his wrath on you because he provided a sacrifice named Jesus who took your wrath on his body on the cross so that you could have life. Thank the Lord for what he has not done in your life. And so the people have this major awakening, right? A major awakening to the truth that not only would they be accountable to God, but God could save them. And he did. What a great moment of this major awakening to God in a rebellious, wicked city called Nineveh, far, far away from Israel. You know, I I think about this. And all the Sunday school stories about Jonah end right here. Jonah finally goes to Nineveh, right? He preaches boldly. Nineveh repents. God is worshipped there. Jonah obeyed the voice of the Lord. You, kids, obey the voice of the Lord. Now, let's pray and have some cookies and milk. But Jonah chapter 4 shows us a whole other reality of a prophet who continues to run. And it kind of cracks this for us if something else that happens to us when our hearts run away from the Lord. Although Jonah came back to the place that God had called him to go, his heart was still far from him. You see, the result of the people uh, repenting in Nineveh actually really got Jonah angry. Look at this. It led him to unseen anger. It displeased Jonah. It displeased him exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew that you're a gracious God. You're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in steadfast love. And you're relenting from anger or from disaster. You know, I I take a look at this. I go, this kind of explains it for us too. Why? Why is it that kids who grow up in a church and they hear the stories, they're called to the gospel, they may even have trusted in the work of the gospel of Jesus in their lives, but they run away later? It's because we can work our feet to places, but only God transforms the heart. So if you're working with people, you need to pray for the transformation of their hearts, not just the location of their feet. Jonah went to Nineveh. But his heart was still running. He didn't want God to be merciful on this wicked, uh, merciless people. And before there was Dr. Phil, there was our great counselor, the Spirit of God. And when Jonah expresses the desire to die rather than to see Nineveh repent, 
and return to God, God said in perfect Hebrew, he said this, do you do well to be angry? Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? In other words, Jonah, how's anger working out for you? And if you struggle with anger, you know exactly what I mean. It's not. It's not. It doesn't work. And, you know, perhaps if we could understand why is it, what is it about anger in our own lives, we too would try to find out why we would run. Why so angry? Why so angry? The plot thickens and it grows darker. As Jonah thought, the repentance of the Ninevites wouldn't last, right? God should still get them, even though they prayed to him. God, get them. Zap them. Knock them out of this world. They're so bad. I mean, they can say, anyone can say anything. They don't really mean it. Well, before we go there, how do you respond to someone who first comes to Christ and they bring all their garbage to Jesus and they don't look like you do and they don't act yet like you do and they're far from who you are? We need to step back from self-righteousness real quick and we need to allow God to work, right? Unseen anger. His heart was running away from God. And it was also not just unseen anger, it was unseen selfishness. Because he goes and he leaves Nineveh, but he doesn't go too far. He kind of looks and he probably finds an elevated spot where he can see the whole city. And within 40 days, he's going, I'm waiting for it. 40 days, day 38, getting ready. Because day 40, I hope just God just pounds them. I want to see this. I really want to see this. I can't imagine, you know, what this, this is going to be a great place. So it was during the the months where it was really hot. So he found a shade and God actually grew up this plant to provide him shade. And he sat in the comfort of the shade and said, can't wait, box seats. And then the next morning, God causes a worm, just like he caused a whale, caused a worm to eat the bottom of that that uh, root of that stalk of that plant. And the plant withers and dies. And what does Jonah go? I want to die, he says. It's better for me to die. And God says, are you sure? It's better for me to die than to live. And Jonah, and, and God says, are you really sure about this? How, you, you know, you're not doing well with anger again. He goes, yes, I do well with anger. See, what God needed to teach Jonah... It he is, is that this simple issue in all of our hearts is the desire for comfort, is the desire for pleasure, is the desire for position. And when it comes to the compassion of the Lord, God asks us to step down from all that. I love how God confronts it. This is how Jonah ends. He says, the Lord says in verse 10 of chapter 4, you pity the plant which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their left hand from their right hand or right hand from their left hand, which literally means they don't have any moral compass. They don't know how to please me. They don't even know about me. They're kind of lost. And also much cattle. That's how it ends. So last, check it in your Bible. God asked the question, and much cattle, question mark. God has a sense of humor. What does he mean? That's the last of the word of the Lord, and much cattle. God's a rancher. (laughs) Welcome to Kansas. 
We have a God who has a heart for us. Can I just point you to one number there? The number that's listed. 120,000 people in Nineveh. Do you know that Topeka has 120,000 people in it? What's your heart? What's your selfish heart in the realm of God's compassion for Topeka? And by the way, Shawnee County has and much cattle too. (laughs) So God wants us to be concerned about our city rather than so concerned about ourselves. We get the picture, folks. And we don't see Jonah's final response, right? So God was going to show to Israel at that time and to generations who followed Jonah is that question. Should I not be concerned about this world? Answer, yes. Yes, you should. And yes, if your word in our lives is going to bear any traction, so should we. What are you concerned about most? So the call of God, whether it's a storm or the sun pounding on you, is the same message. Come back. Come back. That's the call of God in a storm. Come back to me. God uses storms to bring people back to him. Are you back with him? Who is he? Let's remember who he is in this story. This is the God who doesn't just cause storms, but he brings us back. You have a loving heavenly father who loves you more than anyone on this earth could ever. And he's calling you back. Come back to the God who loves you. It is God who took compassion on Nineveh. This wicked people. Sometimes God does that. He chooses the craziest, most selfish, most wicked people. And he saves them to show us the extent of how much he loves us. And if he can save that person, loves that person, (laughs) I guess I'm in his circle too then. Apostle Paul killed Christians, persecuted. I'm sure he was on hundreds of prayer lists. God, get him. But God blinded him to bring him to Christ. Come back to the God who loves you. God's love is never failing. And God loved Jonah at the heart of the sea. He loved Nineveh. Don't ever limit the love of God in something your parents taught you, in something that you, whether it's racism, whether it's a a hatred towards people, whether it's the news that makes you angry, don't limit the love of God in your life. Secondly, come back to the God who speaks to you. Another phrase that we see in Jonah is this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's That's something we shouldn't just let our eyes glance by. Because you have a God who speaks to you. He's spoken finally through the person and the work of Jesus. But he speaks to us in his word. What would it be said of you when God's word comes into your life? Do you listen? Do you follow? Or do you run? When you run from his word, you run into a storm. It's not just throwing Bible passages out. It's understanding who God is in his word and learning about him. And my goodness, there's a whole bunch of love letters in this book. A God who speaks to us. Come back to a God who speaks to you. Get in his word. Draw near to his word. Follow his word. Come back to a God who saves you. Right in the middle of the book of Jonah, we get it. We get it. At the bottom of the sea, in the belly of a fish, Jonah cries out. 
Salvation comes from the Lord. He's our only hope. After Jesus was resurrected, there was no doubt about it that Peter would preach there is salvation in no other name for there's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. Come back to the God who saves you. You cannot, and neither can I, live a good enough life to be perfect. I can live parts of it better than you and, and, and we've got to step away and humble ourselves before the Lord. Only he saves. Have you trusted him to save you? Maybe you're in a storm. Maybe there's a time where you just need to humble your heart before the Lord. Stop trying, start trusting. Stop doing, start trusting what's already been done for you. Just say it. God, I can't do this on my own. I need you. Thank you for living, dying, rising again for me. I believe you. It's not in what I'm doing. It's what Christ has done. I trust you and you will be saved. God is that whosoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life kind of God. It's not limited to you. It's not limited to your city, your country. It's limited. It's unlimited in this world. And then come back to a God who sends you. You get this picture, go. That's the heart of God. That once you've been gathered... And once, or, once we have been filled with him, we go now and are sent out into this community to live the gospel. And that's what God does each weekend here at Fellowship. He gathers a group of people. He fills them with his word. He challenges them with a vision. And he moves you out. Folks, that's the reason we don't have showers here at Fellowship Bible Church. It's the reason we don't feed you lunch all the time at Fellowship. Because now we send you. Because God sent you. And because God is concerned about 120,000 people called Topeka, Kansas. Folks, don't let the comfort of your chair keep you confined to a church. Go. Because you have a God who sends you. And when you go, and when you are sent, welcome to purpose. Welcome to mission. Welcome to life where it's all about God's compassion, God's grace, God's truth. God's love, God's salvation. Come back to the God who sends you. Here's how I want to close. I want you to think first with me, how's your heart? How's your heart? Because your feet made it to the place today that God has you. Where's your heart? That's really what God targets in Jonah. Is your heart a heart like God's? Maybe right now you just need to recalibrate it. Maybe God calls, calls you to just think of one thing in your life that you have been led to seek after that's not about God, but has given your life a storm. Come back to the God who loves you. Come back to the God who speaks to you. Come back to a God who saves you. Secondly, we all have them. People we love and care for dearly who right now in the stage of their lives are running away. They're in our families. They're our children. They're our parents. They're our brothers and our sisters. They're our neighbors. They're people we work with. They're our friends. And they're running. Do you know God has a heart for the runaway? And he loves them more than you do. And he may use a storm to bring them back. Would you right now lift their name up to the Lord? Just their name. Lord, I trust you with, name them. 
And I ask that you would bring them back. If you're going to use me or the people around them, bring them back. Only you save. Let's pray. And we lift these names to you. Heavenly Father, because you are their salvation. Salvation comes from you. You're their only hope in the storm that they're in. Bring them back, Lord. I pray that we would rejoice. I pray that we would love them. I would pray that we would be faithful to them until they come back. And Lord, I also pray for surgery on our own hearts. Our feet may have brought brought us here today, but our hearts are something only you can transform. So we just lift them up to you and ask that your heart for people, your heart for Topeka would burn in our hearts and that we would love the people around us and share the good news of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.